Dr. John Gottman, a University of Washington psychologist, studied over 2,000 married couples for more than 20 years. He was able to identify and describe patterns of how individuals in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, relate to one another, and became able to predict which relationships were likely to be successful and which were likely to fail. He used the four horsemen of the apocalypse story from the New Testament as a metaphor to define especially problematic communication styles that could predict the end of a marriage. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you are looking for. We have what may be an alarming episode for you this week. This is episode number 244, and today we're going to be talking about four behaviors that could predict the failure of your marriage, unless you do something about it. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we went in depth on how to identify your emotions. And I think that episode is going to become a cornerstone piece of content for us because that is such a critical skill in effective communicating. So do go back Check that out if you didn't catch it already. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. Indeed. So, Caleb, before we get started here, I just want to talk about the cruise a little bit. Yes. Like, not only do we get an amazing Caribbean experience in the warmth in the middle of winter up here, but we have some amazing retreat material that you go through. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, about what they can expect to be working on and yeah so we actually we have a number of sessions with couples but i thought maybe we just pick out the first couple sessions for this episode okay in the very first session that we do together we go over some essential communication skills that couples need to have yeah and often like i mean we even know from our marriage you just fall into a default way of communicating with each other yeah and so what that that seminar helps you a couple to do is to really just take a step back and pause and maybe even just force themselves to talk in some ways that feel a little bit uh you know, contrived, but are necessary to help realize, you know what, am I really kind of paying attention to what you're saying? And am I, am I really giving my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my inner workings to you clearly in a way that you can hear and receive them? Mm-hmm. So really work on listening to understand. It's kind of funny to watch all the couples do it. I was just going to say that, like you make it sound so nerdy, but I mean, there's often some really good laughs going on yeah. and it's, Yeah. Yeah, because it is. It's it fun in there too. It is fun, and uh, and it really forms the basis for the rest of the seminars that we do together. Because we don't uh, we don't have. I mean, we have times when there's Q and A and people are asking questions uh, towards the front, but we don't do like big sort of group. Right. And it's not group therapy or anything like that. So whenever there are exercises, it is just the couple turning towards each other and just sort of quietly working yeah, on stuff, yeah. right? And so this forms a basis for a lot of those exercises and later on. I too. think in this first one, there's a lot of like aha moments, right? Like the light bulb goes off, yeah. like oh, this is what we're yeah, just realizing you've fallen into some bad habits or forgotten to 
stop and pay attention, like you're already preparing your answer instead of yes. really listening. Yeah, yeah. Understand that kind of stuff. And then the second seminar that we do together works on fondness and admiration. And that uses the skills uh, from that first session to really connect to those beautiful traits and qualities that originally drew you together. So we're mm-hmm. looking for couples here. And this is sort of also really great at the start of the cruise for couples to reconnect to the things that they found attractive and desirable uh, in the qualities and and characteristics that they, they really appreciate in one another that, yeah. you know, again, in the busyness of life, you kind of forget about. and, and Or you just or, take for granted yeah. and don't remember to uh, vocalize or yeah. think about. Yeah. And it, it's also, um, you know, there's a lot of asking each other questions during mm-hmm, this part mm-hmm. too, that we have the couples doing. And, and then we just learned about that a few episodes ago, about how curiosity deepens intimacy. And yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So that'll yeah. be a good time. And we hope you can join us. Yeah. So that's just a couple of sessions that runs uh, February, 2020. So if you would like to be a part of that, we would love to have you aboard. Uh, reach out to Verlinda, Verlinda at onlyyouforever.com mm-hmm. is her email address, or you can get to us through our website, onlyyouforever.com, or we now have a special cruise website too, christianmarriagecruise.com, mm-hmm. which you're welcome to check out and connect with us that way. Yippers. And as far as today's episode goes, remember that if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. So let's get into the four horsemen, what they are, why this matters, how to identify them, and how to do something differently. So where did these four horsemen even come from? Well, this marriage researcher, Dr. Gottman, borrowed the biblical illustration of the four horsemen to identify the four most important predictors of marital separation and divorce. Mm-hmm. And those four things are criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. And when they were studying these behaviors, they looked at different ways that we communicate in our marriages, facial expressions, even physiology, how couples talked about each other, how they talked about their relationship. And what they found is that couples who had these four horsemen in their marriage were likely to divorce 5.6 years after their wedding day. Really? So, so this is looking at a lot of people and just coming up with averages, right? And if I recall correctly, it got to the point where with these four factors, plus a few more that, that he derived from studying couples, Gottman was able to predict divorce in a couple with 96% accuracy. Wow. Unless that couple took corrective action. Okay. So, so I mean, this is kind of like where it's like, okay, now tell me what those four things are. Yeah, no kidding. Them, right? <laughs> yes. So go on. And- and just to put it in perspective, in marriages where spouses were mostly disengaged from each other, and if that was sort of the only, if that was the key problem in the marriage, they were emotionally disengaged, they were likely to divorce 16 years later on average. Okay. So it just kind of goes to state that if these four things are present, you're likely to divorce in 5.6 years. Oh. So it's that much more, you know, they really catalyze the destruction of the marriage relationship. So these are four things that we have to take very seriously. Yeah. That's kind of the point okay. there, right? And he noted that each of these four horsemen generally have somewhat of a sequence to them. It starts with the first one, criticism, that often leads to defensiveness, which is followed by contempt, which leads to stonewalling, where the two spouses shut each other out. Okay. So, so you know, hopefully I've kind of got you a little bit scared, like, oh, please tell me what these are now, because I need to know. Yeah, but what if I have them in my marriage? Am I going to be divorced in five well, years? Well, here's the thing, is on a hopeful note... Gottman also made the point that happy and prosperous marriages are not without or not entirely devoid of the four horsemen, but they do need to be confronted, especially the contempt one. Contempt is the strongest predictor of relationship failure. It's particularly destructive in a relationship. Hmm. So, so I guess what I'm saying is we want you to take this seriously, but not freak out necessarily. Oh, okay. So it's stuff that has to be dealt with. Yeah. Though. 
Okay. Yeah, you don't want these to go on unchecked in your marriage, I think is probably the yeah. best way to, um, to think about it. Now, another interesting tidbit related to these is that while these are credible predictors of divorce, the four horsemen are not known to block the development of new romantic relationships. And this is sort of just an interesting sidebar because in other words, while you may end up in a divorce scenario, if these behaviors go unchecked, you're unlikely to call off your dating relationship with your future spouse as a result of these four behaviors, right? So this just kind of helps explain how you can get into a marriage where these behaviors were present during dating even, Mm -hmm. but actually then find it really hard to stay in the marriage while those behaviors persist. It kind of points to the idealization that happens during dating and engagement. And then it also points to the need to be committed to your marriage and to facing your own junk in the marriage when your spouse is confronting you with it and saying, hey, like this is a horseman, it needs to stop. Okay, okay. Right. So they it might have been there in your dating relationship and you just weren't necessarily aware of it. Yeah. Or it didn't bother you so much. Yeah, it was kind of clouded out by the, or dismissed or discounted because of the idealization or other qualities okay, that you okay. saw in your spouse. Yeah. Now that you're married and you have these things. It just gets irritating or destructive even. Or worse, just yeah. irritating. Okay, so yeah. what are they? Okay, so kind of going into each, each of them in a little more detail here, the first one is criticism. So criticism is any statement or even nonverbal conduct that sends a signal that you're not worthy of my consideration or respect. Okay. It's an assault on character more than just a description of problematic behavior. Okay. Now, criticism or critical statements are often compounded by globalization, which is using words like you always or you never along with the criticism Mm, in a negative way, right? And we'll see that Gauman does promote voicing concerns and displeasure in a relationship. So it's not like you can't ever lodge a complaint. And we're going to talk about mm-hmm. what a healthy complaint looks like. But when it's done in a criticizing way, that repetitive criticism, it destroys your affection for one another. And it destroys your admiration mm-hmm. of each other. Okay. It erodes your spouse's self-esteem. And that is what makes it so problematic is because criticism to the person receiving it actually depletes them as a person. Because it's attacking their character. character. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in the patterns or cycles that couples get into, criticism escalates conflict by becoming more frequent, more intense, and eventually leading towards feelings of contempt. Because if you really are that bad of a person, why would I have any respect for you? So it's very corrosive. Okay. Does that make sense? So, well, that last thing doesn't really make sense. Like, so if I criticize you, why would I have respect for you? Right. If my character is that flawed. Why would you have respect for me, right? So it just, it, it really leads to contempt where it's just like, oh, you're and then, dismissing okay, the whole person. Okay, so then you're in a cycle kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. That's how the brain kind of wires around that. Okay, so that's criticism. Yeah. And so the second horseman is defensiveness. And this often occurs in response to criticism as the accused spouse. You might deny accountability or, or just reject the unkindness of the criticism or somehow rebuke your attacking spouse, your critical spouse. And, you know, people are defensive in different ways, but one way that people show defensiveness is by refusing responsibility aggressively. So you may even reverse the blame around an issue in order to make something your spouse's fault. So they're trying to point out okay. something about you that's bothering them, but you may turn that into a bigger, badder thing about them. 
That's refusing okay. responsibility aggressively. Okay. And okay. defensiveness makes you slippery. You don't accept any fault. You will not acknowledge any part in what has gone wrong. You won't take responsibility for your actions. It's all deflected or it's diverted or even blame casted back onto mm-hmm. your spouse. Mm-hmm. And if the spouse offering that criticism or the, even just a complaint doesn't back down, then the conflict will escalate. This is the pattern that happens in marriages. Because I'm going to defend myself to the end. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you won't, you have to... Defensiveness is is almost becomes a necessary recourse in order to protect yourself and convince the other person. So then my criticism has to get more intense in order to get through to you, oh, right? So these two things yeah. escalate and they, they become inflammatory. Yeah. Yeah. So that's defensiveness. And that's why defensiveness becomes so so tricky in marriage. Now, once again, we've created some additional really valuable exercises for our much appreciated supporters who want to be even better marriage partners than they already are. And this week, you'll enjoy trying two exercises, one that's really going to press you to become a better listener and another that will help you begin to step through undoing any damage that has been done if you're guilty of using any of the four horsemen in your marriage. Okay. Or if you found yourself engaging in those behaviors and, yeah. and want to sort of reverse any harm that has been done there. So you can get this uh, exercise. It's a PDF by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And we'll take a quick 60-second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we're talking about criticism and defensiveness. So let's take a look at the next two horsemen, contempt and stonewalling, uh, before looking at the antidotes to these behaviors. Now, okay. contempt. Uh, mm. Contempt is is not pretty. There's just no way to dress this one up. Mm-hmm. The purpose of contempt usually is to cause psychological suffering to someone else by showing disgust. And it usually comes in the form of insults, name-calling, mockery, or eye-rolling. I thought contempt was like the little sneer. Like where the, it's sometimes seen in that facial expression, especially where you twist the corner of your mouth up for sure. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of a visible uh, facial expression of contempt. Is contempt like on purpose though? Like I am trying to cause psychological suffering, so I'm going to show disgust to you. Or is it just like that response of disgust? which may cause the other person to suffer. Um, like, like I don't what, think there's a conscious... If whatever. I've been disgusted with someone or with something, it's not like I some, want to show, I want them to suffer psychologically. Like, But at some level, don't you want them to, to suffer a little bit so that they change? No, I'm different? usually embarrassed that it's shown up on my face and they call it out. Because like, I don't even realize that I'm sneering or... 
not that I want to tell people I show contempt, but you know what I mean? Like sometimes I, I don't think that they may not be purposefully like, I am want this person to suffer psychologically. Right. It was just be like, ugh, that disgusted contempt, have no time for you, which causes the other person to suffer. Right. But I don't, yeah. I don't so, know that the, that's, I don't know that it's like a, a conscious purpose of it. No, fair enough. Sometimes it may be though. Okay. A, a nearly, at least a nearly conscious thing. Okay. And sometimes it may not be conscious at all. Okay. I'm good with that. But I do think that quite often in marriage, when one spouse is showing contempt, it's really just a, a misguided attempt at getting their spouse to follow their lead out of the difficulty that they find themselves in. Like, you're so hopelessly lost in this and out to lunch and wrong that you oh. need to pay attention to me and I'm because gonna I'm going to help us figure our way out of this. Okay. Okay. And it, it it sends the signal that you have more power, that you have a better solution, and that they shouldn't really trust themselves to even try. It's kind of like, follow me, I'll fix this. You're just an idiot. Oh, my. But you can hear the contempt in there, right? Yeah. And that's really... Yeah. W- when couples get really sort of in a bad place with each other, it's this obvious. Okay. Okay. In healthy marriages, it might, where it's happening more rarely, it, it might be more subtle, like the eye roll, like, really, you're doing this again. So disgust doesn't always have to be contempt. Like contempt is a little bit more than disgust? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and the kindest interpretation I can provide is that it may be sincere in wanting to solve something, mm-hmm. but it comes from such hopelessness and desperation that it it presents a very unattractive leadership moment. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. And as far as bad behaviors go, this one has significant personal side effects. Studies show that couples who hold contempt against each other are more likely than others to experience infectious diseases. Oh, wow. Colds, flus, things like that. Yeah. Just because of the weakened immune system, because they're holding that contempt. Yeah. Because it causes stress in the body, I wow. think would probably be the reasoning behind that. Yeah. Or the cause behind that. Yeah. So that's contempt. Contempt is a very serious one. Um, a, a very common one, the fourth horseman, is stonewalling. So, And that happens when you create a psychological or physical distance from your spouse. And this happens uh, simply by being unresponsive to efforts to communicate or by responding in grunts or monosyllables or just withdrawing mentally or even physically from interactions. Mm-hmm. You might tune out uh, and be there. Or you may actually kind of physically turn away a little bit, or you may act too busy, or you may even leave by retreating to the garage or retreating to your smartphone. Mm, yep. So just shutting the other person out, building that wall. Yep. Okay. And I think it's particularly a male strategy. 80% of stonewalling is done by males. And in our defense, while this thought process is invisible to our wives, we often are just using stonewalling as another misguided attempt, but this time to avoid conflict in the hopes that a calmer environment will prevail and will preserve the relationship. So if I turn away from all this reactivity and it gets calmer, then maybe it'll settle out. Yeah, but do you honestly think that's going to get calmer? Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yeah, but if you turn away, it's just going to like cause the explosion. Yes, it doesn't work. No. But that doesn't occur at the time. The the unconscious thought at the time is, okay, if I just go away and this calms down or check out and this calms down, then it's going to be okay. 
it, it is it is sincerely a misguided attempt to preserve the relationship. Okay. Yeah. In some cases, though, it may be used as punishment. Like, I'm going to shut you down or shut you out because you're not even worth the time mm. or the air you're breathing to yell at me. So it, it can be used, um, well, as a punishment. Yeah. It's probably the best way to describe that. Which is even worse. It is, you know, in a nicer framework, we could say it's an even more misguided attempt to bring your partner back to yourself in contrition so that you can reconnect. <laughs> Keyword being misguided, right? It doesn't yeah. work. This is like... You're getting all mad. Like, I'm not going to let this work on me. In fact, I'm going to make sure you don't. <laughs> I'm going to break your stone wall down. Give me a sledgehammer. Yes. But that's this is how couples go, right? So so you're in our relationship. You're more naturally the attacking, pursuing side of the quadrant. I like and I'm the withdrawing. <laughs> yeah, it sounds much more noble. And, and so what happens is when you stonewall someone, they have to get a bigger gun to punch through the wall. Yes. 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 <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yes, I'm coming through your wall, buddy. So you better, you can try oh, building that wall. But I'm like sweating sitting here thinking about this. I know you're getting all angry. It's awesome. Okay, so okay, so that's so we wallet. know so it doesn't work. We, we've given folks a very tangible <laughs> illustration of how this is not likely to work. So yes, we know we need to avoid these four behaviors. Right. So what can we do instead? Well, what I like about Gottman is that. He's given antidotes to these things. So it's not just like slap on the wrist, stop, don't do that. But it's actually like, try this instead. Okay. So what do we try instead? Now, instead of criticism, learn to complain. And that may surprise you initially because complaining gets a bad rap. But Uh what I mean by this is instead of describing the problem as an assault on your spouse, talk about what you need. Register like, like a thoughtful, legitimate complaint that helps your spouse to see your side of the relationship. So here's an example. Instead of um, a criticism like, why are you always such an inconsiderate jerk? Oh, right? that's really nice. When your husband, maybe, you know, he's at a place, maybe he mocks you in front of your friend. Okay. So okay. it's a legitimate problem that you're trying to confront. Yeah. Try this as a complaint. When you mock me in front of my friend and you want to be precise here and elaborate a little bit, maybe on what you perceived as being mocking. Okay. Right. When you mock me in front of my friend, I feel very belittled and humiliated and I want to run away and hide and never come back. Mm. Now that's a legitimate complaint that associates your husband's behavior with the emotional impact on yourself. And there's no attack on his character there. Yeah. It's much easier to have a thoughtful and considerate response to a complaint like this than it would be to a criticism like in the example that we gave where you're just saying, why are you always such an inconsiderate jerk? Which could equally be said about the same situation, right? Right. And that's just going to escalate things because he's going to be defensive. Well, because he now has to be confronted with, I'm an inconsiderate jerk. And he's like, no, there's times when I'm not an inconsiderate jerk. So he has to defend that because he, you know, yeah, he can't yeah. take on that identity. It's too harsh. It's too much. And in so doing, he's going to dismiss... The real problem. Right. So neither of you really getting down to what you need to deal with. Okay. So complain instead of criticize. No, instead of... Yeah, criticism. Yeah. yeah. And the, the complaining piece, you know, really quite often goes around the when you insert behavior, I feel insert feeling. Mm, okay. Kind of just model, right? Because, yeah, you're registering a complaint about a behavior that's impacting you. And then it's not a personal character confrontation. Which is what a criticism is. Okay. Yep. And then uh, the second thing is to work on gratitude. And this might sound surprising, 
But this goes a long ways towards undoing contempt. Now, it's easy to jump into contempt very quickly, especially if you didn't grow up in a family where there was healthy confrontation or adaptive conflict resolution skills that were being modeled to you. Mm -hmm. If you can pause and remind yourself of your spouse's positive qualities, even remind yourself of your love for your spouse, that's a great way to get out in front of contempt and it'll help you find a more positive way to engage around the problem at hand. So it's just kind of just pausing for a moment. It's just kind of stopping yourself to grab a little bit of gratitude along the way before you launch into a discussion about some concern that you have. And if you have a lot of contempt generally, it would be a great help to you to make a practice of gratitude as well. Like if you find yourself, like you just kind of, every once in a while, we just get in a bitter state in our lives. We kind of feel like contempt for everything, right? And learning to be thankful for your spouse's positive attributes as well as their positive actions will create a buffer against these negative feelings like contempt. So sometimes it's almost like we have to, this is you know not even necessarily an in-the-moment thing as a tactic, but almost a larger strategy. Okay, you know what? I'm Ongoing. getting too kind of caustic here about how I see everything. So I need to really stop and you know start learning to practice some thankfulness, some gratitude. Mm, yeah. Make sense? Yeah goes a long ways with contempt. Okay. Now... So this is like an ongoing life skill kind of thing, yeah. is this practicing yeah. gratitude. And, and we talked a little bit, and we haven't talked about this in a long time, but just that practice of even thanking your spouse for little things that they do, acknowledging mm-hmm. that and having those little moments of gratitude that you may have got out of the habit of catching or things you're taking for granted now, right? So okay. going back to that is great. Now, instead of defensiveness too... One of the things that you can do is really try to own the wrong that you have done when you are in conflict. And that requires you to lower your guard a little to be willing to be very honest about what you could have done better at, or differently. Like so often when we're accused of something, especially if we feel like mm-hmm. the accusation is too sweeping or too broad, mm-hmm. we don't want to own anything. Right. You just shove it all back. Yeah. Yeah. Because I don't like how you said that to me to even begin with. Right. But mm-hmm. but if if we can kind of again this is you know having to we sort of pass ourselves a little bit here and try to do better we can own a, whatever we can that's true that's honest okay or whatever that's true we want to own and just be really honest about our part and what went wrong yeah I did I acknowledge I accept I should not have it's true that so okay. as much okay. as you can in even if your spouse hasn't said it perfectly like you don't want to have to it's not going to help if you're going to be a um, trying to think of a nice word but go ahead but you can't be like okay i did wrong here but right like that's still being defensive yes so when you are trying to own what you can you just have to be honest about what you did accept it i'm sorry and then stop yeah and your ideal case scenario which will often happen there is if you this won't happen if you're doing the yes, but thing that you're describing. Mm-hmm. But if you're just owning your own stuff and acknowledging and you're stopping there, then your spouse would be like, oh, well, I better admit to something too, right? Right, and then okay. The, that's or what, at least stop. Yeah, that's what you're hoping for, right? Yeah, okay. So it's hard work not being defensive. It's tough oh, to tell do. Tell me about it. Yeah. Huh, okay. Yeah, so I think we covered that. Just acknowledging as much as of, of what is correct or valid or true and what your spouse is saying. Yeah. Often when we are defensive, if we don't hear exactly what we want to hear from our spouse, we can dismiss everything that they're saying. And that, that's unhelpful too, because that form of defensiveness just makes everyone more entrenched in their positions. Right. Now I really have to convince you because you're not accepting it. <laughs> right. And But the crazy thing is like, 
you know, say 80% of what they said is totally true, Mm -hmm. but we throw 100% of it out because we're offended by that 20%, and so we have to defend it. We don't want to accept that part. Yeah. So what you're saying is own the 80% and then just drop the 20. Drop the 20, or even after you're, sorry, even after you're having some good, you're starting to like have some good conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. you could come back later and say, you know what, that 20% there where you said that, I felt that that was a little bit unfair. That kind of stung. Okay. Okay. Right. But that goes on to the That's a complaining complaint. thing. Yeah, when you said that, I felt. Yeah. Okay. Now, and then the last one here is is to take a break. The antidote to stonewalling especially is to take a break. And it might seem a little counterintuitive as stonewalling often looks like walking away. Yeah. But the difference between taking a break and stonewalling is that you agree between you guys to a short break and you commit to re-engaging on the matter. Okay. Whereas with stonewalling, one person is making the decision and often there's no coming back to it. I'm just forgetting about it. Oh, I'm just gone. Okay. Okay. So where taking a break will fail is if you don't follow through on your commitment to come back to the issue that the conflict is around. Mm -hmm. So you have to come back to it. And, you know, as the non-stonewalling spouse, you can help here too. Like just learning to recognize when your spouse is beginning to get emotionally overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. offer a quick break. That's one thing you could do. Or even use the recognition that they're beginning to get overwhelmed to dial back on your own intensity. You know, I need to kind of titrate this out a little bit instead of, you know, opening the floodgates and just <laughs> downloading. Yeah. Let me see. Let me just maybe see if I can feed this in at a slower rate. Is there another way that you can communicate your point that's not as overwhelming for your spouse to receive? Oh, that would be difficult. Yeah. Because obviously it's something that matters to you. But is it more important to just like let the dam burst or is it more important to really have your spouse hear and understand you? Well, I mean, when you ask it that way, obviously it's more important for your spouse to hear and understand you. Yeah. But sometimes you just need to get it out. <laughs> well, so so then if that happens though, and you can see like your spouse is just kind of blown away, like overwhelmed. Yeah. Then maybe it's a good idea to offer a little break. <laughs> oh. I can see I just dumped on you. This is a lot to process. Do you want like 10 minutes so we can just kind of take a breath and then come back to it? Oh. Especially if you know that their default is to stay stuck and overwhelmed and not actually process it through, then you can help yourself by offering them the break. How does that help you? How does that help yourself? Because it, it gives them a chance to sort of recollect and then you can reconvene when you're both feeling a little calmer and they've had a chance to sort of process it through and kind of figure out what the core issues are that they need to respond to. Okay. So when you're saying your spouse doesn't process, you mean like in the moment when confronted. Okay. Yep. Okay. Huh. Um, As the stonewalling spouse, you could take a quick walk. You could just kind of go splash some water on your face, do a few push-ups. Maybe would help. I don't know. Step outside for a few breaths of fresh air, listen to the birds singing. Just take a moment to ground yourself and then come back to the discussion. That's the goal here. And and when you need the break, just be clear that it's only a short break that you will return, see the discussion through. Your task here is to strengthen your ability to tolerate the discomfort of the emotional intensity so that you can work through the issues that are important to your spouse and to yourself. So for the stonewaller, they need to strengthen their ability to tolerate this discomfort yeah. of emotional intensity. But for the And they can pursuer, also ask to take breaks. Yeah. They need to dial back the intensity at the same time. If they can, it would certainly help. Or if they've seen that they've come out of the gate a little too strong, they can offer them a short break. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, but we need to be clear, it's just a short break. Well, you know, sometimes it might be the next day. Okay. That's fine too, but just agree on the time and place. That's what I, it doesn't... It's the commitment to return and finish the discussion. It's more important than how long the break is. Okay. Whatever works for you guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, something, sometimes if something comes up an hour away before you go away for a family weekend, you might just say, okay, yeah, got it. We'll come back to this on Monday. Are you okay with that? Sure. Oh, okay. Okay. 
So it could be longer, but it's it's really that agreement to pause. You just sound so calm. Uh, agree? Oh, yeah, sure. But when people are emotionally <laughs> charged, like it might be like, sure. Not like, oh, oh, yes, sure. But you're so much calmer than me. Anyways, we don't need to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> what did you want me to say about that? Just keep going. Well, I'm done. Perfect. So that's the four horsemen and their antidotes. Give it a shot. Let us know how you do. Leave us a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear your feedback. So we would. So we've been, uh, Verlin has been away, as we mentioned in the last couple episodes. Her parents are doing a lot better. I'm glad she's back home now. Yes. And uh, we're just catching up on some podcast recording today. So we do have a number of folks that have become patrons that we want to thank because we really appreciate the way that you support our show and make it possible for us to just uh, support all the editing and writing and research and production that goes into a show like this. Mm-hmm. So thank you to Steve and Elizabeth and Jennifer and Jeff who jumped on board with support this past couple month. weeks, month whatever it's been. So thank you so much to all our supporters. And Caleb, we have an iTunes review. Yes. From the US says five stars from Lotus Sync. Lotus Inc. Lotus Inc. Or low to you sync. <laughs> <laughs> Lotus Inc.'s good. Great podcast on marital issues. This was exactly what I was looking for. The topics are spot on. I'm glad to get research-based info and the show is bite-sized enough to keep my husband's attention. So they also go on to talk about our announcer's voice, which we will be taking into consideration here. And we thank you, Lotus Inc., for your review. Yes. Next week, Caleb. Uh, we're talking about how to set boundaries in a kind way. And I think that's a very necessary topic because a lot of people set boundaries either as a wall or even as a cutoff. Oh, uh, yeah. Almost like a stonewalling thing, actually. Yeah. But a healthy boundary should be a loving act of kindness that sets the terms on which the relationship can grow. Oh, So we're going to talk about boundaries in marriage and even with in-laws next week. Cool. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 244. Find out how you can help marriages, go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.